the Lord. Well, I want you to grab your Bibles, go to the Gospel of John, chapter 12. The Gospel of John, chapter 12, and then we're going to go over to Matthew, chapter 24. As you know, today is Palm Sunday, and this is when we commemorate Jesus' entry into Jerusalem, which began uh, his final week leading up to the cross and his resurrection. And in John chapter 12, verses 12 and 13, we're going to look at these scriptures here. It says, the next day, a great multitude that had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, Lord save. That's what that word means. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Today I want to talk to you from the subject, the King is coming. The King is coming. Now, back then, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, in the mind of every devout Jew, there was this expectation that a Messiah, that Christ would come as a king to deliver his people and establish his kingdom on earth. And this is what those people who were, who were cheering Jesus on that day expected. They wanted Jesus. They expected Jesus to enter into Jerusalem as a conquering hero. They thought that he was going to raise up an army and drive out the Romans and subdue the nations and reign as Lord over the earth. That was their expectation. But what that crowd of people missed, in fact, what they refused to see was that this conquering king, so-called, had first to become the suffering savior for the sins of mankind. Isaiah 53 is a familiar prophecy to many of us, which talks about the Messiah coming as a suffering servant, and it says that he would be despised and rejected by men, that, that this Messiah would be a man of sorrows, well acquainted with grief, that he would be wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities, and that he would be led as a lamb to the slaughter, and that the Lord would lay upon him the iniquity of us all. They failed to see that Jesus first, the Messiah first, needed to be a suffering servant. And they failed to understand that he wasn't there to deliver the Jews from the Romans. He was there to deliver humanity from sin. Because before he could set up his kingdom on earth, he needed to first set up his kingdom in our hearts. His mission was the cross. That was his mission. He came to die that we may be redeemed. Do we have any redeemed here today? Well, the Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. So if you're redeemed, somebody shout amen. amen. Right? He came so that we could be redeemed. And now we who are the redeemed, now we look forward to his second coming. Can you say second coming? It's a truth that the Word of God declares over and over that Christ is coming again. It's in one out of every 30 verses 
in the Bible. In the New Testament alone, there are over 300 references to what the Bible calls the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I thought it was fitting today that as we're celebrating Palm Sunday, when that generation celebrated the coming of the Messiah into their midst, that we as the redeemed would celebrate the coming of our Savior when he comes again. Amen? So go on over to Matthew chapter 24, and we're going to see what Jesus said about his second coming. Matthew 24. Jesus said in verse 29, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Hallelujah. Did you see that? They will see the Son of Man coming. Are you getting that? The Son of Man is who? Jesus. He always used that title referring to himself because he emphasized his humanity as the Savior who would die on the cross for the sins of humanity. So he's identifying with us. And he's saying the day will come when all of the earth will mourn because they will see the Son of Man, Jesus, coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And then verse 44, it says, therefore, be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Jesus is coming again. Hallelujah. Now, of course, when his disciples heard this, in verse 3 of chapter 24, they came to Jesus privately. And they said to him, tell us, when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And so today on Palm Sunday, I want us to look at a few of the signs that Jesus gave to them and to us to know that he's about to come. Hallelujah. How many believe that Jesus is coming soon? He's coming soon. Amen? The signs of the coming king. The first one is in verse 4. When Jesus said to them, take heed that no one deceives you. Verse 5 says, many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. Then verse 11, he says this, many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. This is the first sign of Christ's coming. Widespread, pervasive deception in society. Widespread, pervasive deception. It will be a time when many will be platformed as prophets and pundits and prognosticators who will actually bring delusions and lies and deceive many, many people. Now, I know that when we think of false prophets, we think church or we think some religious context, right? We think of some bearded guru who's sitting cross-legged with incense burning in the background, or, or we think of some, some grifter in a pulpit pilfering people for, for offerings. That's what we think about when we think false prophet. But the false prophets today are not necessarily in religious settings. Today, they can sit in television newsrooms. 
Today, they traffic on social media. Today, they have shows called The View. Today, they platform on Netflix and Disney and Hulu. And they stand on political platforms telling us that they are the fact checkers and that we should trust their science. And then, when we listen to their science, their science tells us there is no God that created the world. When we listen to their science, their science tells us that we evolved from microscopic DNA randomly formed in a mud puddle that mutated into millions of species of insects and animals and humans. But trust the science, they say. And then their science tells us that that baby in the womb should be aborted because it isn't really human life. But trust the science. The same science that says men can marry men. It's perfectly normal for that to happen. The same science that says boys can actually change into girls. That's perfectly natural for that to happen. The same science that says men can have babies because not all women have a uterus. And don't call them moms. Call them birthing people. Yeah, trust the science. Then they tell us, your Bible is full of fairy tales. Your faith is foolish. Your gospel is a lie. Jesus isn't the only way to God. What about Buddha and Muhammad and, and Mary? Are they all just different paths leading up the same mountain? We are surrounded today by false prophets in our culture. False prophets. Right now, in the 21st century, American culture is drowning in delusion. Does anybody hear what I'm saying today, right? Which is the reason for the second sign that Jesus describes in verse 12. He said, lawlessness will abound and the love of many will grow cold. Lawlessness will abound. It's describing a complete breakdown of morality in culture. A time when everyone does what is right in their own eyes. And that's what we hear today. Well, I have my truth, and you have your truth, and, and everyone has their own truth, and don't impose your truth on me, right? Don't give me your outdated boomer morality. That's what we hear today. And that's why we're seeing in our nation over one million abortions every year. Over 63 million abortions in the United States since Roe versus Wade was passed in 1973. 63 million abortions. And now there is partial birth abortion, which is legal in New York State when it threatens the health of the mother, and who decides what that means, right? Partial birth abortion basically means that viable babies in the third trimester are partially birthed, but then killed while they're still in the birth canal. It is a gruesome, horrifying, heinous procedure that is legalized in our country today. In fact, last week you may have heard it in the headlines where Washington, D.C. police found five full-term fetuses that are believed to be the result of botched abortions, born alive and viable, 
but were killed after birth. And the only reason that they were discovered was because a pro-life group managed to remove a box of aborted remains from a clinic, which makes you wonder how many boxes haven't been discovered. How many other times has this happened that nobody ever found out about, right? This is an evil, sinister, demonic attack on the unborn of our nation. And let me tell you something, it only proves that the devil hates babies. The devil hates children. Why? Because the devil sees the potential. He sees the destiny. He sees the image of God in every human life created. And as soon as he sees it, he wants to destroy it. He wants to mutilate it. He wants to mar it. And he has managed to legalize it in our nation. And then, what are we talking about? We're talking about a complete breakdown of morality as a sign of Christ's coming. And then there's transgender ideology that's aimed at children today. Gender affirmation, reassignment surgery as an, is an evil that is aimed at children and youth today. Gender reassignment surgery. This doesn't sound so bad, right? But what it involves is in, in youth in children, young adults, cutting off genitalia of young boys, removal of breast tissue, removal of the uterus and the ovaries in girls. You see, if the devil can't kill them in the womb, he'll destroy their bodies and their God-given potential. And I want you to know something, that what is happening in our nation, in this transgender movement that is gaining more and more prominence and momentum, is an outright rebellion against God. It is a, rebe- it is a rejection of the God-given identity that He has called forth in every person. Where a person says, I reject what God has created me to be, and I want to recreate myself in the image that I desire. Just recently, the White House announced its support. Our White House announced its approval, its support. Instead of prosecuting those who would mutilate teenagers and children, instead of prosecuting them, they say that gender reassignment surgery, that giving puberty blockers and amputating body parts off of young people is best practice for those struggling with gender dysphoria. Best practice. That's what our White House spokesperson said. That when children or youth feel insecure in their sexuality, that's what we should do. Give them puberty blockers and start to groom and indoctrinate them for gender reassignment. And now Disney, Nickelodeon, Amazon, Apple, Social media, certain school districts in our nation are trying to groom and indoctrinate children in gender-fluid ideologies. And I want us to know something. This is not entertainment. This is not education. This is indoctrination. And this is a social contagion in our midst. Now understand this. Just a few years ago, Just a few years ago, it was only one out of 30,000 youths that claimed to be transgender. Just a few years ago. Today, 
it's 2,330,000. That is a rapid, rapid acceleration. That's not a natural increase. That is the result of a social contagion in our midst. That is the result of a culture of delusion that is deliberate and intentional. It is the result of lies, of an evil being preached by the false prophets. Of our, Forget about the guru with the incense and the guy in the pulpit. Okay? These are the false prophets in our media and our culture today. The false prophets of Disney, the false prophets of YouTube, the false prophets of TikTok, the activist teachers, and the school administrators of our day who are getting caught up. It is a complete breakdown of morality in our day. These are the signs of the times. Widespread deception and a breakdown of of morality. But let me remind you of this. The king is coming again. And when he comes, every lie will be exposed. Every stronghold will be pulled down. Every false prophet will bow his or her knee before the king. The king, come on, say it with me. The king is coming again. Tell somebody, Jesus is coming soon. Come on, just tell somebody, Jesus is coming. And the, listen, the first time, he came humbly riding a donkey into Jerusalem, but when he comes again, he won't be sitting on a donkey. He'll be reigning on a horse, not to rescue, but to judge and, and, and expose every lie of this world. Amen. Amen. But there's more. Not only Are there signs of false prophets and a breakdown of morality? Jesus gave us a third sign in verse 6. He said, you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Now, you say, well, there's always been wars. Yes, but understand, history tells us that the 20th century was the most barbaric century of warfare in the history of mankind. Over 180 million lives were killed in two world wars and the spread of fascism and communism. And now we're seeing the cruelty and the horror of the Russian invasion of Ukraine being played out by video and social media every minute of the day. But it's more than just wars and rumors of wars. The Bible says that the wars preceding the second coming of Christ will be fought with weapons that have incredibly destructive force. This is the fourth sign of Christ's coming, the advent of nuclear warfare. I believe this is a sign of His coming. Revelation chapter 8, verses 7 and 11. I'm not going to read all those scriptures. You can read it on your own. But it talks about fire falling from from the skies in which One-third of the trees and the grass is burned up. One-third of the seas turning to blood. One-third of all the ships being destroyed. One-third of the world's fresh water supply being poisoned. Zechariah chapter 14 and verse 12 describes a weaponry in which the flesh shall dissolve while they stand on their feet, and their eyes shall dissolve in their sockets, and their tongues shall dissolve in their mouths. This is nothing more than nuclear war. Today, there are roughly 14,500 nuclear weapons on planet Earth, controlled by nine countries. Now compare this to the atomic bombs 
that were dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki at the end of World War II that killed about 240,000 people. The nuclear weapons today are more than 3,000 times more powerful than the bombs dropped at the end of World War II. What's interesting about this scripture in Zechariah 14 is it's talking about a war that starts around Israel, that is centered on conflicts concerning Israel, which brings us to the fifth sign of Christ's coming, a global hostility toward Israel. In Matthew 24, 32, Jesus called this out. He said, now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. The fig tree is a biblical metaphor for the nation of Israel. Summer is a metaphor for the end of the harvest season. When the fig tree buds, when Israel became a nation in 1948, it set the stage for the prophecies of the end times to be fulfilled. And you can read about it all throughout Matthew 24 and Mark chapter 13, and Luke chapter 21, and all throughout the book of Revelation. These indicate that Israel, Israel becomes ground zero of global conflict in the last days. It's what we call the Great Tribulation. How many have ever heard of that? The Great Tribulation. It's a biblical term. It's a time when the world comes under the rule of a dictator who's known in Revelation as the Antichrist. Now, at first, he arises as a great peacemaker, and he's able to broker a peace agreement between Israel and the Arab nations. But after a few years into this agreement, Scripture seems to indicate that the Antichrist will turn against Israel, outlaw Judaism and Christianity and all of the other religions of the world, by the way, and set himself up to be worshipped as a god. It's a time of economic collapse, of widespread poverty, poverty and famine, pandemics and pestilence, horrible wars between nations, massive numbers of, of populations killed, religious persecution, and those who follow Christ during the Great Tribulation will be persecuted and even killed because they refuse to worship the Antichrist. They refuse to take his mark, which we don't really know what that means, but in some way, identifying their fealty to the Antichrist and observe the systems that, that he sets up. Which brings us to the sixth and the last one that I want to give you today. The sixth sign of the end times is an increasing hostility toward those who follow Christ. In verse 9, Jesus said, They'll deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all. Now here in, in the U.S., we are, thankfully, we are insulated from the persecution that is happening around the world. The fact is that more Christians have been martyred for their faith in the last century and now into this century than in the whole history of Christianity. And persecution continues to get worse as I speak in other nations. In the Sudan, in Nigeria, in Iran, and Iraq, in China, Indonesia, Afghanistan, 
Pakistan, Saudi Arabia, over in that 1040 window, which is a designation of latitude and longitude, Christianity is outlawed. Christians are arrested, they are tortured, and they are even killed. Now in the U.S., it's not that extreme, right? So don't tell me you're being persecuted. You're not being persecuted. Okay? We don't even know what persecution is here in the United States. But culture here in the U.S. is becoming more hostile toward Christians. And we see that every day. You talk about the Bible. You talk about morality. You talk about marriage as God defined marriage. You talk about God's plan for human sexuality. You talk about creation over evolution. You will be ridiculed. You will be marginalized and ostracized. The things that I've even preached here today about trends in our culture would label me as, as a fanatic, as, as a racist, as, as a bigot, as some transphobic homophobe just for speaking the truth, not just about the Bible, but about God's order in creation, right? So it is, it's getting more and more hostile here in the U.S. But beloved, don't lose heart because the king is coming again. Amen? In fact, Jesus said, when these things begin to happen, widespread deception, a breakdown of morality, wars and rumors of wars, nuclear warfare, attacks against the church and, and Israel. When these things begin to happen, don't despair. Don't whine and cry and growl so bad. He says, look up and lift up your heads for your redemption draws near. Hallelujah. Rejoice because the King is coming again. And these are but signs of the times. The scripture says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 that the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Thus we shall always be with the Lord. Hallelujah. Isn't that amazing? He will descend from heaven with a shout, and then we who are alive, we shall be caught up together with those who are asleep in Christ to meet the Lord, and we will forever be with him. Hallelujah. It's what we call the rapture of the church. The rapture of the church. And it's what Jesus referred to when he said this in Matthew 24, verses 40 and 41. He said, then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. The rapture is the next event on the end times calendar. Before the Great Tribulation, before the rise of the Antichrist, before global nuclear meltdown, God will remove His church. Why? Because the Great Tribulation is the outpouring of God's wrath. And guess what? Hallelujah. Because of the cross, we have been delivered from the wrath of God. Amen. He can't pour His wrath. He doesn't want to pour His wrath out on us because Jesus already paid the penalty of our sin. Now you might say, wait a minute. What do you mean God removes His church? What does that mean? It, I mean exactly what Jesus said. 
Two men will be there, and one will be taken, and the other left. Two women will be there. One will be taken, and the other left. 1 Corinthians 15 says it like this. We shall all be changed in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye, the trumpet will sound. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Hallelujah. Millions will disappear. Removed from this world. Transformed and caught up with the Lord. People on trains will disappear. People in planes will disappear. People at work will disappear. Maybe not a lot of them, but some of them might. People in church will disappear. Family members will disappear. Gone. Hopefully the pilot of the plane you're flying in will not be one of them. Hopefully the captain on the boat you're riding on will not be one. Hopefully you won't be on the highway when some of those drivers in the cars are raptured out of their cars. How will the world explain that? I know exactly how they'll explain it. Aliens. It's already how science is explaining the chance random formation of DNA, which is naturally impossible and requires some designer to orchestrate it. And of course, they don't want to admit that it could be God. So what do they say? Aliens planted their DNA. And it just makes sense that they came back to take some of us away. Right? Mark, write it down, okay? Because I'm telling you, even though you won't be here to see it, that's exactly what they're going to say. The rapture. Your mama might go. Your daddy might go. Your son, your daughter might go. I'll be gone. I can assure you of that. How about you? Is anybody here going to be gone? Amen. Some of you might still show up for church the following Sunday. You're going to have to find a new pastor, a new board of trustees. Well, I hope so anyway. A new, wor <laughs> a new worship team. You're going to have to, right? Because 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 2 says, The day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. The phrase labor pains means that these signs that Jesus talked about will become more frequent and more intense as we get closer to his return. The phrase thief in the night means that Jesus will come unexpectedly. No one knows when he's going to come, just like no one knows when that thief snuck into their house. So Jesus says, be ready. What does he say? Be ready. Be ready. Come on, tap the person next to you and tell them, be ready. Be ready. Be prepared. Just like you're prepared for a thief. Come on, this is New York. I know you're locking your doors at night. I know you're locking your cars during the day. I had to walk back out and lock my car. Why? Because I'm prepared for the thief. What thief? I don't know, but I'm just prepared. And I don't know when Jesus is coming back, but I'm prepared. Amen? Amen? Jesus is coming soon. Get ready. Amen. All right, worship team, join me up here, please. So let me ask you this question as I close. Are you ready for when Jesus Christ comes again? Because when he comes, every one of us will give an account of our lives before the throne of God. Whether it's at his second coming while we're still on earth, or when we die and pass into eternity. 
Hebrews 9.27 says it's appointed unto man once to die, but after this, the judgment. Romans 14.12 says each one of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Now here's the thing. God is a just judge. And because he's a just judge, he must deal with our sin. And we're all sinners. But he's also a loving father. And because he's a loving father, he does not want to punish anyone. He doesn't want to send anyone to an eternity without him. And that's why Jesus Christ went to the cross. When Jesus hung on that cross, he wasn't being punished for his sins. He was being punished for your sin and mine, even for the sins of the world. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish. Would not what? Would not what? Would not perish, but have everlasting life. God loves you so much. He's a just judge. He's got to deal with sin. But he loves you and made a way for your sins to be forgiven. So that when Jesus comes again, or when you pass into eternity, that you will not have to give an account of sins before God, because your sins will be washed away. Let me ask you this. Are you, are you here today? with the assurance of eternal life? Do you know for certain that if you were to die today, that heaven would be your home? Because if you're not certain of that, then I want to offer you an opportunity today to receive Christ into your life. Hallelujah. Let's stand together. Hallelujah. If you want to receive Jesus, if you want to know for certain that you have eternal life, I'm going to invite you to repeat this prayer, to pray with me right now, right there where you're standing, or if you're watching online, to repeat this prayer wherever you're at. Out loud, not to me, but to, to Jesus. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, I admit that I'm a sinner. But I believe Jesus Christ, God the Son, died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that He rose from the dead and offers me eternal life. I receive that gift. I receive eternal life. Forgive me for my sin and cleanse me from unrighteousness. Save me and be my Lord in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can we just thank God for His grace, His goodness, His mercy? Now, if you prayed that prayer for the very first time, I want to encourage you that as you exit the sanctuary to go over to the Welcome Center and to let the people there know. Let them know, I, hey, I prayed that prayer at the end of service today because we have some information for you. We just want to give it to you to help kind of explain what this means to follow Jesus Christ. So would you do that? Pray that prayer today. First time, stop by the Welcome Center. We're going to take a moment and we're just going to worship the Lord. We're going to worship the Lord and exalt His name. And then we're going to close with one closing announcement. So please just remain at your seat. Let's worship the Lord.